You want to leave the lights on? Check one thing, make sure I brought the correct sermon because Brock will have to wing it. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's weird how much better the lighting is here than on that stage. You know, I got those spotlights on me. The the prop, there's a shadow somewhere because I'm in, you know, I've looked, I've had someone else stand up there and they're in bright light. But there is a shadow. That's why I use that. It's not like I, it's not, I'm an old man and can't see because this is great. But there is just a shadow that hits my notes particularly in uh, the Bible. I don't know. All right. You ready, Brock? You tell me when. Good morning. April 19th. 19. Well, it is 19. It's 2020. We'll share 19 later today. What I want to talk about today, again, is I want to welcome you as we worship together. I know it's uh, strange for you. Maybe you're getting comfortable. You're in your house and you're laying around in your pajamas or whatever you got on and you're, you're watching this. But I want us, again, to worship together. I want us to focus in on the person of Jesus Christ and realize that our God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's with you. He's uh, right here with me and Brock and Steve and Marilyn in the building, and we're bringing this to you, and the Lord's allowing us, and I have been so encouraged by you guys and, and other people and all the, the, the very positive comments. Yesterday, we were doing the help group at the Bartlett campus, and we had to do everything on the parking lot with cars, and we had a number of people from the Memphis Police Department, and so many of you showed up to help, and without you, it was uh, not possible and just to see I don't remember the, have the exact numbers yet, but it was close to 500 people that we served yesterday and were able to give them food. And, and I talked to a number of them just going through the line, through their cars and standing on the parking lot and just talking uh, across the parking lot in many cases, how grateful they are to what we're able to do. So again, thank you. And you keep praying for all that's going on and our individual lives, our national life as a, as a nation, uh, our world, that if nothing else, we would turn and desperately lean on our God. And so what I want to talk about today, if you've got a Bible with you, and I hope that you do, as we get ready to share together, I want you to turn to Psalm 103. So, not Psalm 100, but Psalm 103. And we're going to talk about something that always comes up in situations like this, and it ties in very well to our series on Who's Your Daddy? We're talking about that, and what I want to focus on today is where is God? In the middle of the COVID-19 and the coronavirus and all that we're facing, so many people, particularly critics of Christianity and critics of people of faith and critics of religion, say, where is God? If there's a God... Why isn't he doing something about this? It's a legitimate question, and I want to look at, from our perspective as Christians, is where is God? The great question that everyone asks when you're sharing your faith, you say, I'm a Christian, and they'll say, well, well, where is God when bad things happen? Where was God during the Holocaust? Where was God on 9-11? Where is God in the middle of the coronavirus, COVID-19, pandemic? Where is God? So in our series, our, our focus has been that our Father... Our God says, I am the Lord, from Isaiah. There's no other. There's no God besides me. 
In Exodus, he says, I am the Lord your God. You'll have no other gods, plural, before me. Romans 8, where we get the title for our series, and Paul writes, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out as Christians, Abba, or Daddy, Father. In 1983, as we focus on the attribute today of the sovereignty of our God, that's what we're going to look at today, that our God is sovereign. What does that mean? In 1983, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book titled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And it's, he, he denies in his book the aspect of the sovereignty of God. The book was written because he, he had lost a child. He had a child that had died of, of an illness. And so he was saying, why do bad things like losing a child or a horrible thing happen to good people? And here's what he said, quote, If God can't make my sickness go away, what good is he? Who needs him? God does not want you to be sick or crippled. He didn't make you have this problem, and he doesn't want you to go on having it, but he can't make it go away. That is something which is too hard even for God, end quote. So what he's saying is, the synopsis of the book is this. God doesn't want bad things to happen to good people, And the fact that they do simply means that God's not powerful enough to do anything about it. And therefore, he's not much of a God. And so that's denying the sovereignty of God. So what what I want us to think about today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Christians here on April 19th, 2020, in the midst again of just a pandemic that has swept our world and is still very prevalent in our nation right now, people dying daily, and getting sick, and we've all been affected by it in many ways. What does it mean to us as Christians that our God is sovereign? I have said many times over the years that I believe the sovereignty of God is the most important and comforting doctrine in all of Scripture. So what I want to do today and probably next week is look at the idea that our God is sovereign. All right, let's try to define what it means that God is sovereign well, number one, the word sovereign means ruler. A.W. Pink, tremendous theologian, defines sovereignty of God this way. Quote, to say that God is sovereign is to, to, is to, let's do that again. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is God. End quote. Well, that sounds silly, but you get to pause and reflect on it. When I say to you, when we share as Christians that God is sovereign, what it means is, is that he's God. We've seen from uh, Exodus and Isaiah and throughout Scripture, and we've looked at it in many different ways over the last couple of months, when God flatly says and has proven himself historically, the God of Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, the, the, the triune God, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus being the second person of the Trinity, we, we believe that there's one God, and he exists in three persons, that the God of Scripture is God. So when you say that your God is sovereign, by definition, what you're saying is nobody else is God, that there is only one God. So here's what I want us to focus on as we look at this in Psalm 103. We'll get there in a moment. The sovereignty of God is not one attribute amongst a long list, like God is holy, God is immutable, God is loving, God is just, God God is omnipotent, omnipresent. God is omniscient, 
all of the attributes, God, it's holy. All the things that we have looked at and will continue to look at as we think about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is not one of those attributes in a long list. The sovereignty of God is the list. That God it, attributes of omniscience and all of those things we talk about are an, each of those is an aspect of the sovereignty of God, or in other words, the sovereignty of God is the summation of his nature. That that's who he is, as Pink said, to say that he is God. That's why when Moses asking, well, who do I tell your, the Hebrews it, you are? And God said, you just tell them I am. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. Our God, our Father, is the only uncreated entity in the universe. He created everything else. Bad things do happen because we live in a world that's been cursed by sin. It doesn't mean that God causes it. It means that he created us with the capacity to choose, and man chooses some evil things. And bad things simply happen to good people and to bad people. It it rains on the just and the unjust, Scripture says. So the sovereignty of God is who he is. All the other attributes are aspects of of his sovereignty. So what it means is God, because he is sovereign, the word itself means he has the absolute right as the ruler of the universe to do whatever he sees fit. And he has the absolute power to carry out what he decides needs to be done. So, again, we will look at these attributes as we, begin, as we walk through them over the next few months. But one of them that's really important is that God is always just. He's not going to stop, and this is the key for us to understand it as Christians. God is not going to stop everything bad happening because we want him to. People get sick. People get old. People die. It's part of the natural cycle of life. But for a believer, death is no terror. It is not something that we fear because we go home. It's the best day of our lives, according to Ecclesiastes. So God has the absolute right. He controls the universe. He's the sovereign ruler of all. He owns it. And he has the power to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And everything that he does is good. So when something bad happens to me, from my perspective and from our perspective as a human race, as Christians, we need to then look at that event or whatever it might be and say, Lord, how in the midst of this difficulty can I point you to people and let them know there is hope? One of the things you're hearing over and over again during this pandemic is this phrase. We're in this together. Everybody is saying it nationally, locally. You're hearing it everywhere. And the truth is, we are in it together. We're not going to just get rid of it because we want it to go away. And we have incredibly brilliant people working and and attempting to come up with vaccines and and therapies and, and medicine. And it may be like SARS and just go away. Or it may be something that's just here that we've got to learn to deal with. And maybe we come up with something, a vaccine, and solve the problem. But regardless, when COVID-19 and the coronavirus is gone, there'll be something else. I don't know what it is, but I know there will be something else. And so as Christians, we keep coming back to our God is sovereign, and the theme of Scripture is 
the righteous, those of us who know God, live by faith. We trust that our dad is not just out there doing capricious, arbitrary, cruel things because he can. No, he's always working good. Quick example, and then we'll get into this. If you're a non-believer, in the midst of this, and I've talked to many, in the midst of this pandemic, one of the things you might be struggling with is your own personal mortality. My own brother had, had a birthday this week. He turned 69, and he's terrified of death. Where his younger brother, who's 66, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not lining up to get on the bus and go today. But what I do know is that absent from the body is present with the Lord. I'm going to paradise because I'm in Jesus Christ. I have hope that I can share with my sibling that he doesn't have to be afraid to die. So maybe one of the things that God is doing, not maybe, one of the things that God is doing with a bad thing like coronavirus and this pandemic is to say to nonbelievers, stop. You're living your whole life for what? think, what is life really all about? So for us as Christians, let's say my brother asked me that question. As a Christian, I have an answer. And he knows what my answer is going to be because I've been a Christian for so long. And we grew up, obviously, slept in the same room until we were teenagers. He knows that I'm going to share Jesus Christ with him. But maybe here in the latter part of his life, in his late 60s now, he may be thinking, well, Randy sure has been happy as a Christian. Maybe it's something I need to look into. He, he has a great life and a great family. This, his God has done a lot for him. Is it just that he's a crazy religious fanatic? Or is there something more? What's going to happen to me when I die? So a bad thing God might use to get in the attention of someone like my brother. And for us who are Christians, the bad thing is still bad. Still affects us the same way. My brother gets it, or I get it. We're both going to get sick. We don't know exactly how it affects every individual. It's different. But we're human beings. It affects us in the same general way. But as a Christian, I'm not afraid of death. And I also can share joy in the midst of a difficult circumstance, circumstance because my God is sovereign. That's why I say, again, The most comforting doctrine, the one we're looking at today, is that our God is sovereign. So turn to Psalm 103 if you haven't and listen to how it's dealt with here. David deals with it. Because our response needs to be, and that's what we're going to see in Psalm 103. Our response, when we think about our God being sovereign over the universe and all good and bad that happens, should be overwhelming praise and gratitude that my father is God, that he is sovereign, that that he does own the cattle on a thousand hills, to quote scripture, that he does own, that he spoke the universe into existence. He knows every star by name. He knew me before he, he created the world. He knew me, he knew you. Even before you were in your mom's womb, he knew you. He loves you. He, you're, and if you're a Christian, you're his little boy, you're his little girl. And yes, he's going to carry you through the difficult times. So the context of Psalm 103 is David's praise, David's gratitude for two things. One, all that his God, his father has done for him, David, 
And secondly, for just the fact of who his God is. And I hope as we walk through Psalm 103, you'll feel that. You'll see that. That'll be your heart's beat. That God, I'm grateful for the good and for the bad. I'm, I'm overwhelmed that you love me. I'm overwhelmed that you've been so good to me. And I'm just in awe of who you are. And yet you condescend to love me. So the first thing I want you to notice in verse 1 and 2. The first thing that David is overwhelmed about and is praising God for and is grateful to his God for are all the blessings, verses 1 and 2. David's gratitude for all the blessings his God has given to him. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, verse 1. All that is within me, bless his holy name, exclamation point. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. He uses this phrase, all, just twice here. He uses it twice. All that is within me, that, and that simply means your emotions, your will, your intellect, uh, what makes you unique. You may have a twin, but you have an intellect and you have emotions, you have a will. Everything that makes you unique. So he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, also twice. So what you see here is, in these two verses, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, forget not all his benefits. You see what's called Hebrew parallelism. It sets things two, two times for emphasis. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That, that takes that intellect, that will that's all that's within me, and, and all the benefits, and I'm grateful for all that God has done for me. And when he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, twice, the idea in, in Hebrew is this. The intensity and the earnestness, the deep burning desire to not forget. Not forget all that God has done for David. As we apply this scripture in our lives, the idea is in praise of God. Lord, I, I never want to forget all that you've done for me. I never want to forget how good you've been to me. I never want to forget that Jesus Christ died so Randy could be set free. Jesus Christ died so Randy could go to heaven. Jesus Christ died so I could have peace and hope and joy. Even in the midst of turmoil, I could be at peace and rest because of Jesus Christ. And and beyond that, all the benefits of, as a parent, your children, as a grandparent, your grandchildren, uh, I FaceTime one of my grandchildren this week in, in the midst of this. Again, everybody having to shelter at home. And, and thank God we've got things like FaceTime. And I was able to FaceTime her, and we talked for a little while. And, and that just made my day. I'm having, I, I'm getting, at times I'm getting so bored, I'm going outside. There, there's, a, there's a robin that builds a nest every year around, somewhere around my house, one of my gutters. This year is the downspout right off my patio. So I'm literally going out there taking a chair and watching her feed the baby birds. I like it. Mary thinks I've lost my mind. But I love to be outside anyway. And right now I have to go outside at times. I just do. And I got to get out and do my, I've done everything in my yard I can do. And so we're now we're doing projects inside. But I'm still able to spend a lot of time just me and the Lord. And I think back to my children and growing up and meeting Mary and how good God has been to me. I didn't deserve any of that, but he gave it to me. 
And the one, if, if nothing else, the one thing that I find myself daily thanking God for is the fact that he's my dad. That through Jesus Christ, I've been born again. That I'm his child, and I know he's going to take care of me. So, the first thing you, see, you notice is David's overwhelming gratitude for all that God has done for him. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is in verse 3. He has a specific focus in verse 3 that he's grateful for, and I just mentioned it, so I want to focus in on it. And that's his salvation, verse 3. God, who forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases. Verse 4, who redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. So he's talking about his salvation as a human being, a sinner, separated from God, and yet God reached down and saved David. And David is overwhelmed, again, by the gratitude and praise for a God who loves him that much. So you notice in verse 3, his focus in verse 3 is that God has forgiven me for forgiveness. Notice again, all your iniquities simply means sin. All your iniquities are forgiven. He heals all your diseases. So there's a double picture going on here. Heals all your diseases is not, despite the fact some people will preach it this way, you have to let Scripture say what it says, context. He's saying the same thing. There's that Hebrew parallelism again in two ways. Verse 3, he's saying it in two ways. He forgives all your sins, and he heals all your diseases. And here's the idea. This is what's so exciting about being a Christian. How many sins have I committed in my life? Too many to count. Same thing is true for you. I don't even know how many I've committed today. I know I have. But I also know that in Christ, how many of them are forgiven? Look at verse 3 again. He forgives how many of your sins? All of them. If not, as I mentioned earlier, if nothing else, that should humble me daily before God saying, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for redemption. You not only have forgiven, Scripture teaches that God remembers them no more. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. He throws them in the depths of the ocean, and he remembers them no more. He's not bringing my past sins up to convict me. I've been forgiven in Christ. I've been declared righteous, justification in Jesus. I'm born again. And those sins are forgiven. Jesus paid for them when he's on the cross. It is finished. So how many of them, again, verse 3, are forgiven? All. We don't deserve that. That's grace. That's mercy. He, mercy is he punished Jesus. Grace is he gave it to me. Two sides of the same coin. He reached out to me and said, I'm going to give you Christ's riches. Everything that he will inherit, we will inherit as Christians, joint heirs with Christ. He's going to pay the price for your sin. The fact you are a sinner. You're born with a nature, propensity to sin. That's who we are because of Adam. Jesus conquered that when he died and rose from the dead. So, again, verse 3, all your sins are forgiven. The fact you are a sinner, God has forgiven you. Past sins, present sins, future sins, they're forgiven. We don't deserve that, but we have it in Christ. But then secondly, he says, he heals all your diseases. And the idea here is, in this context, it's not talking about physical diseases even though ultimately he will heal all of those, if nothing else, by taking us home. There is no physical illness in heaven. 
Some, we're all going to die of something someday. It's appointed unto man wants to die, Hebrews tells us. We're all going to die of something. But as Christians, we go to heaven, get a new body, and you're not worried about anything physical. There's no, there's no pain. There's no sorrow. There's no curse of sin. There's no illness there. So the idea here is, back to the Hebrew, is all your sins are forgiven and you are restored. Restoration heals all your diseases. You're restored to what life should have been about in the first place, at whatever age you get saved. I've got a dear friend here in our church that was saved in his 70s. It's very rare. But he gave his life to Jesus in his 70s. And when you're around him, he just constantly has a smile on his face, is wanting to know more about God and God's word. He loves Jesus. Late in life. But man, you can just tell a change. So excited about what God has done in his life. So God not only forgives your sins, he gives you, restores you to understanding what life is all about. That's why you read the Gospel of John, for example. The entire theme of the Gospel of John is laid in, I believe it's chapter 20, where John says, these things are written that you might know that Jesus is the Christ and that through his name you might have life. We get our word like zoology from it, the meaning of life. That you will know what it is all about. As Christians, we do. Here's the most important thing for us to understand concerning the sovereignty of God. We don't live, even though we're on planet Earth with non-believers facing the same pandemic. But we don't focus only on that. We focus on the big picture. The eternal perspective is what? of what is life really all about? What is it? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Second thing that David is so overwhelmed about concerning his salvation ties into what we were just talking about, and that's in verse 4. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. Redeems your life from destruction. Literally, that's what happens when you're saved. The Hebrew means he buys you back from death. You're a slave, Romans 6, and he sets you free. He buys, he goes into the slave market where you're owned by slave. You're owned by sin. That's your master. And Jesus, God, reaches down and saves you, redeems you from that destruction you were headed for, the broad way that leads to destruction. He, He buys you out of that market, gives you the robes of righteousness, declares you, in Christ and sets you free. You're now a slave to Christ and not to sin. That's what a bondservant is in Scripture. I choose to follow Christ, not my own selfish nature. So then what else does he do? He redeems you from destruction, and then he does something else for you. He crowns you, verse 4, with loving kindness and tender mercies. The Hebrew here means you get the beauty and the dignity and honor is conferred on you as a child of God. And the idea of loving kindness and tender mercies is mercy and compassion. Here's what he's saying. As a child of God, as a Christian, I buy you back from the slave market of sin. I set you free. You're my child. And I put on your head this big crown that says, God has shown me mercy. God has shown me love. Let me share that love with you. Let me share that mercy with you. What God has done. Let me explain grace to you. 
So you'll understand that the God of the Bible is not who you think he is. Remember, now we're in the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Some people say, well, the Old Testament is not about grace. Yes, it is. It's all about grace. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, there would be no salvation. That's what he's saying. I not only buy you back and set you free, but I'm putting on your head the crown that says you are a person who has experienced mercy, who's experienced grace, who's experienced love. And we want to share that with people. That's what spreading the gospel is about. The, the Great Commission. Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world. You Jews, I want you to go to the Gentiles, the nations, and tell them about me. Tell them, tell them that I love them. Tell them that I died for them too. Tell them my salvation is for them. And then the third thing about the salvation that David is so excited about is in verse 5. What else does God give you? He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I love this one because it's very personal to me because I'm in the latter part of my life. 66 years old, I suddenly realize you're way past midlife. I can't have a midlife crisis anymore because I'm too old to have one. So what verse 5 is saying is that God in your life, we talked about a friend earlier, God in your life not only redeems you, not only crowns you with mercy and love and compassion to share with others, but he gives you satisfaction about life. The idea here in verse 5, the picture is this. Even as an old person, I could be renewed like a young man because of the mercies of God. Maybe not physically, but attitudinally, emotionally. I'll give you a simple example. When I was a young man, and I watched old people at church, which now I, I are one of them. I'm an old person at church. And so many times, an older person at church would have this attitude. Look, I've already done my time. I paid my dues. It's time for you young people to do it. Now, is it time for the young people to do their part? Absolutely. But does that mean when you become an old person, which I are one now, does that mean when you become an old person that you should just sit back and not do your part anymore? No. I was literally talking to a relative of mine today. Or yesterday, excuse me. I was talking to him yesterday. And he's even older than I am. And he was talking about they was just tired of having to do things at his church. He was he thought felt everybody else ought to do it because he'd been doing it forever. He was kind of getting burnt out. And that can happen to you at, at different ages. But here's the point in the beauty of verse 5. He's saying, I'm going to renew your youth like an eagle. You're going to soar. Now, physically, you may not be able to soar anymore. Now, you may be soar, S-O-R-E, and not be able to soar, S-O-A-R. But one of the things I was sharing with him, and I've seen it several times on a very personal level over the years of people that I've dealt with, that either were crippled or just got old and couldn't get out and do things anymore, and that's why I love the beauty of being able to do even like this Facebook Live, being able to do even beyond when we can come back together and continuing to do it. Here's why. They may not be able to get up and physically come to the church building. But there have been some people whose prayer lives have just been incredible as ministry. Never leaving their home. That's ministry. Texting people, emailing people through social media, contacting folks, an old thing called the telephone. 
just calling people and saying to them, how you doing? I love you. I was praying for you today. I just wanted to check on you and see how you're doing. I love to do that. And the time may come and that's all I can do. But guess what? That's unbelievably important. Just, I have, you've heard me talk about my Aunt Louise and who's 99 years old and she's in uh, an assisted living place in Lexington, Tennessee and right now I can't go see her. So I've talked to her a couple times this week and just talking to her really makes her day because that's all she's got. It's me and one other cousin of mine, her nephew, that, that check on her. That's it. But that's ministry for me to be able to share with her and love her and talk about how she's feeling, what's going on around her, and let her that she wants to talk about me and my family, the church, and it just gives her something to do. And that's ministry, and to think, I'm too old and I can't do the, the things a young man can do. Yeah, you can be satisfied and understand that God is in you. And so, even as an old person, verse 5 is saying, your salvation doesn't stop because you get old. God saved you, God's carrying you, and God will finish what he started in your life. And then you get to verse 6. And the third thing that David is overwhelmed by is the mercy of God. Look at verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And this is the key to understanding the sovereignty of God. Notice, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now, I want you to get up off your couch, look at me. We're going to take just a few more minutes, and then we're going to be done. So I want you to hang with me, because this is where we get confused about where is God when bad things happen. David has been just praising God, and that should be our mindset. No matter what, I don't understand why the world is going through this pandemic. What I do know is that God didn't stop being God six weeks ago. So, yes, bad things are happening but our God is still God. And so he says here to us in verse 6, I'm always going to execute two things, righteousness and justice, and notice, for all who are oppressed. Now, specifically, he's addressing his children here, and that would be me and you as Christians. And he's saying, I, I know what you're going through, and I know it's hard, but trust me, I'm working good, Romans 8, 28. I'm working good. And you may not see it even in this life. You may not see it till you pass away. But I promise you, I'm working good. Because here's the difference. We, even as Christians, we want our God, because he is sovereign and rules the universe, we want him to fix everything when? Right now. Right now. I don't want to have to sit around in my house. I want my kids to go back to school. I want my... Uh, job. I want to be paid my full salary and not half salary. I, I want to go back to work. I want it, God, I want everything and I want it right now. And God is saying to us, I know that. And even if you're being persecuted, I know that. And I will carry you through. And on the other side, again, maybe happen to get to eternity. Sometimes it'll happen in this life. 
on the other side, you'll see. We want God to execute right now. But God is sovereign. Who's not sovereign? Me and you. We have to trust him. The righteous live by faith. Trust his time, his way, because he's God and I'm not. Now drop down to verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Now here's what he's saying here. Sometimes daddy may have to discipline his children, verse 9, but that discipline won't last forever. Why? Because we're his children. You as parents, there are times you have to discipline your children. But you don't discipline, so you're not grounded for the rest of your life, even though I had to do that with one of mine. Basically, I said, you're grounded until you uh, go to college. And you guys can probably figure out which one of mine that was. You don't say you're grounded for the rest of your life. You say you're grounded for two weeks or you're grounded from your phone. That might be the horror of it all. We're taking your phone away from you, taking your iPad away from you. We're not going to let you interact with your friends for a month. That would be the end of the world for a teenager. You don't do that. You do. Your discipline fits the crime. What God is saying here is there may be times when I have to discipline you as my children, and he may even use something to get your attention, but it won't last forever. Whatever it is, it won't last forever. Why? Because we're his children. Now verse 10, and we're going to stop here today. Verse 10. Never forget. He's not dealt with us according to our iniquities, our sins. He's not punished us according to our iniquities. We talked about this earlier. What did he do instead? He punished Jesus. That's our substitute. The source of our daily praise, our gratitude, our overwhelming love for our God is that he is God. He loves us. He's in control. He is sovereign. Even when bad things happen, he's always in control, always working good, will always carry us through. Why? Because he is God. Next week, we're going to look at one aspect of his sovereignty. But I want to end today with a, on a very personal note. And um, some of you heard me share this, and I've mentioned it many times. But today, April 19th, 2020, exactly 50 years ago today. That seems like a long time to some of you. I realize that. Exactly 50 years ago today, I trusted Christ as my Savior in a church. Sitting in a room and a guy sat down and shared the gospel with me after church. And I trusted Christ as my Savior. 16-year-old kid, all I knew is I was cool. That's all I knew. And that when he explained what the gospel really meant, I'd been in church my whole life. No one had ever sat down and explained the gospel to me. He did that. At that moment, me and, and my best friend, who, who is also a pastor to this day in, in California, we trusted Christ. And I look back over 50 years. And I can see, just like Psalm 103, I had a very difficult life at that time. And I'm not going to go into the details. We've heard me talk about them before. My home life was not good. It was very difficult. But at the same time that I was trusting Christ, I met a beautiful young lady, same age as me. We'd gone to school together for five years and never met Mary Hines. And three years later, she was Mary Lockley. So for 46 years, I've had that blessing that God just... And his sovereignty brought about in my life because I happened to start attending her church. And then he gave us three 
incredible children and now five grandchildren, six grand, five grandchildren, I can't keep count. Five grandchildren allowed me to be in the ministry doing what I'm doing today. And I look back how his hand worked that out with no training, no, no formal education to do this. Uh, just a guy in the business world who loved Jesus and wanted, felt called to the ministry and God made that happen. Look back and I can see his sovereign hand, even the bad things in my life. I can look back now and see how God used those for me to understand how desperately I needed a daddy. And I have one in him. And so here's my encouragement to you before we pray. Is your God is in control. And I know it's hard right now. But he did not stop being God. He is sovereign even when it's difficult. Remember God, we want God to step in now. And that's the criticism. Where is God when bad things happen? Here's where he is. He's right in the middle of it with you. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Whatever the bad thing is, he's right in the middle of it with you. Empathizing and in control of it so that you can glorify him. Let's pray and then I want to come back and share something with you. Let's pray. Father, again, we're so grateful that you're our dad. That we're not God. We're grateful that you are. That we trust you. That even when bad things happen, you don't stop being God. As a matter of fact, that's when we realize we need you the most. Paul taught us when we're weak, that's when we're strong. So I pray you use us as we crawl up in your arms to then go out, maybe just even in our own home through social media, share the love of Jesus Christ with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you again, just kind of share with you, remind you we're doing these words of encouragement. Steve and I have been putting them together, and others are going to be see popping up. Uh, Get them on Facebook and YouTube and our website. Just a couple times a week, you can go and be encouraged. It's about a little five, ten-minute devotion, devotional that, that I've been doing, and God's really blessed me doing them, and I hope that they're encouraging you. That's the reason we started doing it. I appreciate Steve and uh, bringing it up and, and challenging me to do it. It's been great. And the other thing is I need you to really continue to pray about how God Again, we don't know when we're going to be back together, and hopefully it will be soon, but our financial needs go on. And our revenue has basically been cut in half, the child care and through giving. So if you figure, you're trying to figure out how can I get to the church, you could give online, or you can write a check and mail it to us, and we will get it. Uh, you can call Steve. He'll come by your house and pick it up. Uh, just mail it in, and, and I realize that some, there may have been some change in your life where you can't give. But then again, maybe you can. So keep praying about, we have some hard decisions as elders that we're looking at and uh, dealing with all of this and, and how things have just kind of shut down and we're still at Fred's and next door and all the things that we're looking at. We need the wisdom of God. You pray for us and then continue to pray, Lord, how do you want me to be involved? I love you. God bless you. Have a great week. How long was that, bro? 14 minutes. That's good. Steve's proud of me. Thank you, guys. Oh, I, oh so now you're going to have to go edit that part. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you, guys. Oh, we're going well, other than the old busted water line. Oh, busted water line?